Our sermon text today comes from Mark chapter 10, and if you'd like to follow along, it'll be projected on the screen. It's also on your Bible app in your phone if you'd like to open up there and follow along throughout the sermon, taking notes. There's notes that you can take in the service folder as well. Mark 10, starting at verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias was on his way to a lecture at Ohio State University, and he tells this story that his driver was driving through campus, and as they passed a big building, the driver said, this is the new Wexner Art Center. And the driver was so excited to tell uh, Zacharias about this new center on campus it was a center that um, the architect had built in a postmodern way where there was staircases leading to nowhere. There was absolutely no pattern on the interior. There were columns that weren't supporting anything, and there were places in the museum that made no sense at all as far as the architecture went in the traditional sense. The idea behind it, the driver said, and Zacharias pointed out in his speech, was that um, it was the architect's commentary on life in the postmodern world, that it's really senseless and meaningless and it doesn't have an end or a point to it, and it was his creative way of, of showing this. Zacharias paused and he finally, as they drove past it, asked the driver, did they do the same thing with the foundation? <laughs> to which the driver said, obviously, no, you can't do that with the foundation. Very often, we think that we can do the same thing with our life, that we can make it whatever we want to make it, and to a certain extent, that's true, but as believers in the Word of God and in a God that created this world, there is the reality that there's a foundation to everything, even our own individual life and our relationships. And that foundation that God has laid in our life for our relationships with one another is something that you just can't mess with. It's not something that we create. It's something that he as a creator creates in our life and for us. And today, by grace, we learn that God creates a rock-solid relationship with us on which we can build beautiful, thriving relationships with one another. You heard this message from Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is approached by the religious leaders of that time, some of them, the Pharisees. Obviously, they had an interest to trap Jesus in this scene that we have in front of us. They come to him with this seemingly impossible question because they wanted to use it politically to, to take his answer one way or another. They asked him, 
is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? And of course, what they were hoping was a yes or no answer from Jesus. If Jesus says, yes, you can divorce your wife, then they would put out the news release that Jesus was anti-marriage. And if he would say, no, you can't divorce your wife, then they would pull out a law that they knew in the back of their head that they had that said that you could divorce your wife, and it was a religious law that they, could fought, that they had at that time. And so they would put out a press release. He said no, and so he must be anti-law. Do you get it? It was a double standard question. He couldn't get it right. But Jesus takes this question, as you heard, and instead of answering yes or no, he puts back the greatest God answer, right? Another question. And he says, what did Moses, what did Moses' law say? And they answer back to Jesus. Moses' law says that you can issue your wife, your spouse, a certificate of divorce. And that's true. You can. You can give a divorce certificate. It's in the law. But here's where the master teacher takes it a step farther, and he says this. He's not interested in whether it's a yes or no, whether his answer is going to be taken this way or that way, but he wants to get down to the heart of what marriage is all about. He says, yes, Moses did allow you to issue a certificate of divorce, but he did it because your hearts were hard. In other words, divorce, it's not just a, a, a legal thing, but it's a heart thing. Divorce is something that has happened in the heart that has, initially, that has essentially broken a life, and there is a legal document I'm going to say a death certificate for, mar- for marriage called divorce. Something that happens within. And it's the very opposite. Divorce is the very opposite of what, of what friends, best friends do. You see, best friends build relationships with another. They join together. Best friends do not separate. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he wrote this. He said, friendship begins that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And if you've ever been in a relationship or in a courtship, you know that when you find a person, it could be initially that you're physically attracted to them, but that only lasts for 24, 48 hours, maybe a week, maybe a month, until you find out who they really are on the deep down inside, and then you say to yourself, if, if it's somebody that, that is truly attractive inside and out, that you say, that's a person that I want to grow closer to. That's a person that I want to pursue. That's a person that I'm going to give up my personal time for to go out on a limb and get to know. And then, as you get to know them through courtship, maybe even you have your own stories about this, you start to do crazy things so that you can get to know them better. I remember when I was dating my wife in college, that um, I was in a wedding, well, it was a summer that we hadn't seen each other for the whole summer, right? We, were, uh, we, we mainly saw each other at school, and we hadn't seen each other in a very long time. It seemed like eternity. It might have been four weeks or something like that, but we had to always call each other or text each other, and we really missed the face-to-face. As you know, even if you just have friends, you miss the face-to-face with friends. Um, and I happened to be in a wedding, my friend's wedding in Keele, Wisconsin, and she was coming by, and she was going to stop in the cities, the Twin Cities in Minnesota, which was the closest that we would come all summer. It was five hours away. But she was that close, I thought in my head. And I said, that's really close, and I can easily make that drive. And so what do you do 
when you have an interest in another person. I went, you know, went through the wedding, went to the reception, did the formalities, even though it was some of my best friends at the wedding. I said, I'm out of there after the, as soon as the reception started and the formalities were over. And I drove five hours that evening that felt like what? Five minutes to get there at like midnight or one o'clock. She was at her uh, grandfather's house and, uh, and she waited up the whole time because she wanted to see me. You get this, for best friends, they join together and they're excited and they, they're interested in getting to know one another. This is what it feels like at the beginning of courtship, at the beginning of marriage, this intense joining together. And finally, when friends say, we want to make this permanent, we want to make this a forever friendship, then they come together in marriage, and what happens at marriage? It's what Jesus says right here, that God gets involved. And he's been involved since the very beginning of time. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And so we have a man and a woman being joined together in friendship. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, why, why, why do we have this um, God being involved in marriage? Can't we just come together in marriage? Well, the reason is, is as Jesus says, that word in verse 6, united, means to adhere closely. Um, and then it's, uh, again, later on, to join together. It's like, it's like being glued together as one. And two people start off, as individuals who have their own ideas, who have their own individuality, who have their own person. And I'm going to say that's totally fine and that's actually great. God made us to be individuals. And he made them from the very beginning to be individual, but he brings two people from two different lives together to be one. And so why do you need God to be the one bringing them together? Because God's the creator of life. And if he's the creator of life individually, he's creator of the life that's going to be made together. A life that's made together can only be made by the Creator. The Creator, as we know, is God. This life that is together, the number one thing in that life for those two individuals is no longer my individuality, but our togetherness or oneness. This is going to be a huge change for you in life if you go through marriage. Because now, you're not thinking about your own needs, which is fine, and you can, but you're going to be thinking about the needs of another person. And their needs are going to be just as important as your needs. Now what happens, you ask, what, what, about, what about this divorce? How does divorce happen in relationships, especially a marriage relationship that God has put together? Divorce happens in the reverse order of how the friendship happened. Whereas before you had two individuals that came together as one, now you have a oneness in a relationship called marriage. And when one of the two partners spouses begin to pursue their own individual, I'm going to say happiness, over and above the oneness, that's when you see marriages starting to dissolve back into two individuals and not one anymore. Are you following this? Does this make sense? So what happens is I become more interested not in my spouse, but I become more interested in my own needs. I become more interested not in spending time pursuing driving five hours. Now, today, I don't know if my wife would let me drive five hours at 7 o'clock at night. She says, you're going to fall asleep if you do that. But, you know, what has been lost is that pursuit of each other in marriage to be one. 
And instead, the pursuit could be my own interests, my own desires, not pleasing my spouse like I promised to do, not pursuing them like we had at the beginning, but falling and dissolving apart. And suddenly, given the right light, the right temperature, the right soil, all of a sudden you have an affair. Or all of a sudden you have an abandonment. Either physically abandoning one another, or emotionally abandoning one another. And what has happened in the marriage is a death. The death of the oneness. And when death of the oneness has happened, then God says, this is a sham. This is not what I have created, but this is what you've broken apart. And so what Moses allowed his people to do, and what we have today in the church and in the world, is something called divorce, which is a death certificate for marriage. The divorce isn't just something that's legal, but it's something, and this is where it hurts, because I know I'm speaking to an open audience, it's a condition of what had happened in the heart at some point. There is sin, and as Jesus says, sin causes the heart to harden, and when the heart hardens against that oneness that God has brought together, there's a brokenness that needs to be fixed. So sin and hardness of heart is at the heart of divorce. And it's sad, and it's tragic, and it breaks up families, and we mourn over it as a nation, as a, collectively as a people and as individuals that have gone through it ourselves. So the question is, is there any hope, Pastor, if I've gone through a death of a marriage, is there any hope for me as a survivor, as maybe somebody that has been on the wrong end of a hardened heart, or maybe I myself, if I look deep inside of me, I, have a hard, I did have a hard heart. Is there hope for me? And the answer is, there is hope for you, because just like there is sin that Jesus has forgiven, there is sin that he's forgiven called divorce, that he died on the cross for. So Jesus says, the, the heart of the, the divorce is a heart... The, Divorce is a hardened heart, but do you know what Jesus does? He comes in and, and he reverses hardened hearts. That's his work to work in the life of broken relationships. Um, I love this verse from Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel 36, 26. Jesus, uh, this isn't the verse, but this is the summary. Jesus' friendship with you makes hard hearts warm again. And here in Ezekiel 36, it says, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart the stone and give you a heart of flesh. That means that God can come into any situation, even the situation that you've been through, if you've been divorced, and give you a new heart. A heart of flesh. A heart that doesn't have oneness in mind, but has only Jesus in mind, because Jesus has forgiven you, whether you've ever been married, been married, been divorced, or, 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 or any, anywhere in between. He, he says, I, I have given you a new heart. This is the foundation that we're talking about on relationships. And if you're hearing this for the first time after being through a divorce, there is hope and you have forgiveness because Jesus gives you his heart. He took on the sins of the whole world, even the sins of selfishness and, and, um, in, and pursuing your own needs instead of the needs of your spouse. And he says, I've given you my life and you, that life is yours. No matter what you've done in the past, where you've been. And so you have his forgiveness. Look at these other great verses. If you feel like you've been that friend that has let another friend down, whether in marriage or whether you've let them down just in life, another friend, listen to this passage. The great way, the greatest way to show love for friends is to die for them. Jesus said that in John 15. 
And when Jesus died for you, he showed you that he was the greatest friend. A greater friend than you could ever be to your spouse. A greater friend than you ever could be to your best friend. And then in Matthew chapter 20, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The very thing in marriage that we're asking God to do is, is to make us a servant of another person. And yet, I fail as a husband myself to perfectly serve my wife all the time the way that he asked me to. He comes into my life and he says, you're forgiven because I've come to serve you. And my service to you covers over all of the times that you have not served your spouse the way that you should have. And so there's grace and he takes that hard heart that Jesus talks about and he turns it into a warm heart. And that's only by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of all of your sins. So, what do we do with this heart? Friendship with Jesus means that you now have a heart of flesh. And having a heart of flesh means that you're not going to go back to the things that you did when you had a heart of stone or a hardened heart. This new heart of flesh is going to allow you to make decisions in your relationships. That heart of flesh that you have in your heart, whether you're pre-married right now, whether you are married, or whether you're widowed or divorced or wherever you are in life, will allow you to make decisions about how you're going to build on this foundation that is Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness. And so think through it with me. If you're divorced, do you have that heart of flesh? Yes. Who gives you that heart of flesh? Your Savior. What would your Savior have you do today? Would he have you hold on to revenge? Resentment? Is that something that your Savior would have you hold on to? Is that something that Jesus held on to as he hung on the cross? Or would he give you the heart that seeks repentance? That humbly says, I was wrong. That says, I want to make this at least right again in the sight of God. Forgive me if I've messed up. Is it a heart that looks to get back everything that you can, or is it a heart that says, I have Jesus' heart in me, and so this relationship that has been messed up in the past, I'm going to look to him to restore it in the future. And to forgive if there needs to be forgiveness. Married people, you have a heart of flesh, and if you're anything like me, you're an imperfect spouse. You need that foundation just as much as anyone else in your relationship today. So whether it's all falling apart right now and you see it trending in the falling apart instead of coming together, what would that heart of flesh look like today and change you today? Um, In marriage counseling, I talk about three major areas of your life in marriage that help you bring your relationship closer together instead of letting it spread apart. They are spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and physical intimacy. Have you ever thought about becoming closer spiritually with your spouse, the man and woman or woman in your life that you've said, I'm going to give my whole life to? As a believer, if you both are believers, you have uh, something in common. If one of you is a believer and one of you is not a believer, spiritual intimacy is almost going to be impossible to have. In fact, uh, it's going to be like living in a house and there's going to be a closet that's going to be closed off because some of the decisions that you make as a believer with your unbelieving spouse, are going to be faith decisions, and they're not going to make sense to somebody that doesn't have faith. But if you have a spouse that believes and you're a believer, are you growing together in the ways that that 
that bring you closer together spiritually because you know that your foundation is Jesus, so have you opened up a devotion together to learn about the grace that you share with each other so that when I hurt you or you hurt me, we have that common baseboard, that safety net of grace? Have you prayed together with your spouse and said, there are things that are happening in my life that I want to tell you about. There are things that I feel like we could grow closer to each other with and we can pray about together. Is it coming to church together so that you guys can sit down together as a couple after living a whole week, living in the same house together or having um, you know, high points or low points and coming together to rejoice about the marriage that you have or to repent about the places where that you could grow more? Are you growing closer together spiritually? Are you growing closer together emotionally? Guys, your wife, she doesn't always just want you to fix the thing. Sometimes she just wants to talk about the thing and to get it off her chest and you the same. (laughs) There doesn't always have to be an answer to everything, but there should definitely be a conversation on the in-between. And women, your husband, sometimes he just wants to be the knight in shining armor, even though that means that he just fixed the toilet or he took out the trash. I know that it's silly and simple and maybe trite, but those little words of affirmation, they go a long way in forming our identity about how you view me and I view you. And so words of affirmation and words of communication throughout the relationship help us grow together emotionally as we, as we, as we pursue as married couples to grow closer together and not farther apart. Are those things becoming more evident in your life? Are they on the top of your head? Are they the things that Christ has put in your heart to say, hey, these are ways that I want to grow closer because God has joined us together. And I'm going to do these things not thinking about myself, but thinking about my partner first. So spiritually, emotionally, and you thought I was going to forget about it, and physically. It's important. And if you're forgetting about it, then... I give you this encouragement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul, the apostle, he talks to married couples and he says to them, and this is the interesting thing, and you really need to think this through as a single person, that your body is not your own when you're married. That means, Paul says, uh, wives, your body doesn't belong to your, it, yourself, but it belongs to your husband. And then he says, and husbands, your body doesn't belong to yourself, but it belongs to your wife. Therefore, I will not use sex as a bargaining chip. Therefore, this union that we have together, this laying my life down for my partner, in a Christ-like way, even happens in the bedroom. When you think about the beautiful gift of sex, the, the gift of using our bodies to please one another, not just thinking about myself all the time, but communicating and and listening and, and getting feedback about how that other person is being, I'm going to say, happy too. <laughs> Taking care of your body. It's a spiritual issue. And so is the idea of intimacy in your life. And let me tell you, if you're not hitting the spiritual intimacy and the emotional intimacy, or if you've let that go by the wayside and you come home and you expect the oven to turn on, don't expect it just to turn on just like that. When you're hitting the emotional, the spiritual very often the physical will come right along with it because God has created us as a physical and a spiritual being. And so that's all I'm going to say to you married people, but think about this. How are you growing closer together in the oneness that God has brought you into and not farther apart in those three areas? 
And finally, I'm going to say this to the single people. Um, marriage is not heaven. And neither is singleness hell. It isn't. In fact, you're in good company. Because our Savior himself decided to decline marriage. And Paul, as far as we know in his life as an apostle, as long as, as he lived, as far as we know, he declined marriage as well. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, this about it. He says, I wish that more people were like me. And why would he say something like that? But he follows it up by saying this. He says, I wish more people were like me because to this person, this gift has been given, and to that person, gift, to that, person that gift has been given. And I'm content in it all. Maybe you're widowed, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're single, maybe you're married. But in each and every place that God has put you in this place in life, he wants you to know that the foundation is there. The foundation that is Jesus, that is the eternal comfort that you have in the gospel, knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you live with him forever. And I'll tell you as a married male that my friendships are very limited. I cannot... And I should not, it wouldn't even be proper for me to have many friendships that are emotionally intimate and deep with other females. I just, that's off of the plate when you give up what you give up in marriage. You devote yourself to one person and that one person is your number one goal. And so what we have, if you're a single female or a single male in the church, is an ability to have deep emotional relationships with many more people than your married friends could ever have. And the church should not be the place that puts peer pressure on single people to become married when that simply isn't what they want or what God has for them in this place in their life. Because God has said to each and every one of us in whatever place in life that we're at, married or unmarried, that he's made us content and happy with the decision that Jesus made. And that's the decision that Jesus made, to give you his life so that yours has a firm foundation, whether you're married or not. If you're married in a relationship that is falling apart, or a, maybe a relationship that doesn't feel as fulfilling as it should have been, or maybe it wasn't as fulfilling as 10 years ago, guess what? God wants you to be content in that relationship too. Marriage isn't heaven. Neither is signal is hell. Heaven is heaven. <laughs> heaven is heaven. And in heaven, do you know what? There are none of these husband and wife relationships. I wonder why God did that. I wonder why he made it heaven that way. Maybe because he wants us to pursue heaven and that relationship with him more than any other relationship that he gives us, that we do, or that we don't have here on this side of heaven. Jesus' decision for you. We can do a lot with our life, and that beginning illustration kind of brings it to light. You can even build crazy stuff within the structure that God gives you, but the foundation is the same. The foundation is the same, that Jesus is Jesus in your life and God is God. And that no matter what you have or what you don't have, what you desire to have or what you don't desire to have, if you have that as your foundation, then you have a solid foundation. And you have the one that has made the decision for you to give you 
his life so that your life can have a firm foundation. Amen.